0: Good evening, hope that you had a great day. How many your football team won today? Nobody cares about NFL football? Come on, Becky, hold up your hand. Bill's, Bill's favorite team, is her, her favorite team is actually Tom Brady. She's enamored with him. said, your guys doing good? I said, he's looking good today. She said, yes, and he's playing good football, too. Anyway. I guess she, family and, and Boston, I think she's seen him pretty close at some, uh, some preseason football games before. But anyway, I hope that your team has won. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, if you would. Exodus chapter 20. We have some visitors with you. You probably noticed them before. Uh, Britton Beverly Burcham from Kent, at Missouri, but also Tim and Cindy Crawford, who are uh, attendees at Center Hill. And uh, you're going to be able to go home tonight and say, Tim Sin, uh, I mean Cindy Crawford was at church with us tonight. Okay, so, yeah, that might be a bragging right at the coffee shop tomorrow. Just just put it in there for something. We're grateful for them. They're some of our best friends in the entire world and grateful to see them. We're in Exodus chapter 20 where we reach a command that nobody pays any attention to. And so you're wondering, why on a Sunday night do we even have to hear a sermon on the one command that's not repeated in the New Testament? It has no bearing on us whatsoever, Right? But the interesting thing, and I think it's almost like the providence of God somehow. This morning we were talking about Jesus' great invitation to us. Why is that doing that all the time? Testing, testing, can you hear that? And so Jesus gives this great, this great appeal to people. Come to me, all you will labor, and I will give you rest. And then Sunday night, by the providence of God... We're to talk about the Sabbath day where you'd rest. Isn't that weird? It's like God works in weird, mysterious ways. And we're going to talk about whether this has any bearing on us at all. So if you would join me right there at Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read this. The fourth commandment is simply remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You remember it to keep it holy. And here's how you keep it holy. You know what holiness means, right? It's different from all the others. That's all that holiness really means, different from all the others. So the Sabbath day is to be remembered as different. And the way it's different is this. You don't work. Unlike the previous six days where everything was the same, on the seventh day it's holy because you don't do what you did on all the others. God creates Adam, right? He gets Adam to work the ground of the garden He has a job to do, and Adam works at it all the time, but not on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, he imitates God, and he works. He does not work. He refrains from it. And so this command says, I want you to do it this way. I want you to not work on this day. That's what makes it holy. That's how you remember it, and that's what makes it different than any other day of the week. Not only you, but don't let your employees work. Don't let men or women work. Don't let animals work. Don't work the land. Don't let foreigners who are visiting you work. Work stops. Everybody rests. And that's what makes the Sabbath so strange, holy, and different. Why? Why was this so important? And he gives a couple of reasons why it is. Because God says, through this commandment, because God worked six days, created the earth... And on the seventh day, he rested. That's his example. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. I want you, like God did. He worked every day. He worked six days. On the seventh day, he looked back on creation, and he rested, and he kind of basked in the glory of it. And I want you to be like God by resting that same way. But when he gives a retelling of this, you're going to see that in the book of Deuteronomy, the retelling has nothing to do with creation. The reason he says the second time when Moses gives these, says, this is the reason why. You were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then I brought you out of there with a mighty hand, and I want you to remember that on the Sabbath day. I think it was a Saturday when God leads them out of Egyptian slavery. So I want you to remember that day. It's the highlight of your experience as redemptive people in the Old Testament. It's a day to remember and reflect. Why? to image God and creation, and to thank God for his rescue in slavery or from it. Funny thing is, before he ever gave this command in Exodus chapter 20, a couple chapters before this, he was already telling them this through this stuff called manna. So he says, I'm going to make this command to you later on, but what I'm going to tell you right now is on six days I'll give you manna. But that seventh day you collect, or that sixth day you collect twice as much on the sixth day. Now do you remember? Okay, they would, they would take up too much. They would gather too much of this manna thinking we'll never see it again. And the next day it would spoil and it would rot and it would stink and it'd be terrible. But he says that, that same law of what happens to bad food is not going to happen when you collect it the sixth day. Because I'm not going to send it on the seventh day. That's a different day. So collect twice as much. And so they'd run out that next day, and there's no food. And if they didn't collect enough, they were rumbling in the tummy, right, to remember this. They would powerfully remember that the seventh day is holy because there's no food on the ground. What's interesting even beyond this, and then he gives the Ten Commandments, right, and it's the number four. And then shortly after this, he says, by the way, I want to tell you how serious I am about this. In Exodus 35, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a, a death sentence if you do work on the Sabbath day. God's just ramping this up and saying, I'm serious about this taking a day off. I'm going to stick a, a death penalty to it. And then to illustrate that he's serious about this even more so, you remember in Numbers chapter 15 when this guy starts collecting sticks on the Sabbath day? He's out there gathering sticks and everybody's like, what are you doing? This is a different day. This is a holy day. You're not supposed to do that. And they go to Moses and Moses said, what do we do? And God says, here's what I want you to do. This guy's got to die. I've got a death penalty connected to the Sabbath day, so he's got to die. But I want everybody to participate in it. I want everybody to walk home today knowing how serious I am about Sabbath. And so everybody picks up rocks and they take this guy out there and the whole congregation So let's say that's we're not supposed to do this, and Paul's out picking up sticks one day, and we're not supposed to do this, and so the entire church, right after the final song is said, right? We're gonna have the shepherd's prayer, and everybody get your rock and go outside, and we're gonna stone Paul out in the parking lot. And then we go out and kill him. Everybody goes home that day knowing this. God is serious about this Sabbath day command. He wants you to take the day off. I keep thinking about church camp. I'm the director, so I make up the schedule. And one of the things I force the kids to do, with great moaning and great consternation and complaint, when I hear that that growl, that collective, oh, man, they have to go back to the cabins and rest from 1 to 1.45. No kid wants to do it. Every adult is dying to. But none of the kids want to do it. It's like a penalty. It's like a punishment to make me take the day off. And it's interesting how corporations today have to force their workers to take their vacation time. Force you to. It's strange, isn't it? Phil Rampy works for the government. You know this. You know right now if he goes in and he does his government job right now, he could be arrested because it's against the law to work, right, because of this shutdown thing. I, I can see this and I understand this among young people, but I, I think today, what if... The city of Jonesboro decided every day from 1 to 2 is a siesta for everybody. How many thinks that would be a good idea? Adults, I think so. I think kids would say, no, I don't want that. It's really strange, but God is saying to them, I want you to know you are to make this day holy. You're to view it as different. It's supposed to be some kind of different day. Unique command. One of those identity markers. When people talk about Jews, other nations of people are talking about Jewish people. They talk about their weird thing about circumcision, which I've always wondered, how did you know? But the other one was this. These weird people take every Saturday off. The rest of the world's going. Every day is a business day. Every day is today to pursue profit and to do business and income because survival is day to day. And yet for Israel, they were not allowed to work on that seventh day. A clear demonstration of being a distinct people that shows up on your calendar every single week. And you can remember not so long ago, some of you like Gary James will remember this. He would come up with some fancy way of saying this with words you don't know what he's talking about, but how many remember the blue law? Still remember the blue law, right? Wouldn't let you open up your business unless you were one of those grocery people. You couldn't open up your business on Sunday. Everybody needs a day off, right? Now we're a prosperous nation. We should not be restricted in whatever we can get at any time. And so the blue laws have been wiped off the books, and the only one remaining is the one where you want to eat every Sunday, Chick-fil-A, right? Or uh, whatever, that Hobby Lobby. There are a few of them like this, but most people are like, one sign of prosperity is we never close 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, this is interesting to me. As you read how the Jews treated this, over the years how they viewed this a powerful statement of faith Israel had difficulty honoring this command they did not want to she didn't understand why it was necessary didn't appreciate the meaning behind it she found herself as a nation resentful of this entire Sabbath excursion into their life it was an intrusion you could see this in several ways I mean, should not the Sabbath command be like a benefit, part of your benefit package? But it's not. It's part of the command package, the big ten. God had to say one of the big ten that you can't do is work on Saturday. And you'd think everybody go, yeep-haw, right? Because it's a holiday, a paid holiday. Nope. They just complained. God even had to put a death penalty on it to get them to observe this, to threaten them for not honoring this day off God wanted to give them. They felt like they were losing ground to the other nations. Let me give you some passages on here. Jeremiah, I think I've got this on here. This is what Jeremiah says when he talks about this, and he goes on through verse 27 to talk about this. We're not going to go on to the rest of it, but he says, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. Do not bear a burden on the Sabbath or bring it in on the gates of Jerusalem." And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Do any work. Keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. Israel didn't want to hear it. Don't tell us about taking the seventh day off. We want to work. He goes on to say through verse 27, if you'll do this, I'll bless you. You'll never have an enemy Step a foot into your cities if you will just honor the Sabbath. They wouldn't do it. Amos chapter 8. Listen to these people. See if it doesn't sound like us. Hear this, you who trample the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over? That we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may take the ephah, make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. When is the Sabbath going to be over so we can get back to business as usual? And you see them like camped out at the city gate, waiting for the gate to be open so they can go out and put their wares out there and start selling. When's this stupid Sabbath going to be over? Missed it. A blessing from God right over their head. It was a day that took away from them being able to exploit other people. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 15 is another one. Nehemiah had to go in there and he had to shut this stuff down. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, all kind of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. I warned them on that day that they, they sold food, right? Tyrians also, I warned them, I told them, and he stopped it. He had to force a seizure of all their, of their stuff. He had to make them not sell on the Sabbath. Weird, huh? God wants to give them a gift. That's what he calls it in Exodus chapter 16. I want to give you the gift of the Sabbath. And what do they do with it? They resent it. They hate it. They fight against him. I wonder what kind of other special gifts God wants to give us that instead of taking as a a gift, we take it as some kind of penalty or a punishment, and we resent it, and we fight against him, all because he's trying to bless us. I'd call it like every command he gives us. Jesus comes along, and they're still fighting the Sabbath command, right? They're still fighting the Sabbath stuff, and Jesus has to come along and say, Guys, we weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. Give us a chance to rest and reflect back on our lives and see what we've done. And to find great satisfaction in what we're doing like God did at the end of creation. Israel just constantly resented this and fought against it and was rebellious against it. And yet here is God in the big 10 saying, "I want you to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy." Before we tell you why this has any bearing on you, let me say a few things that it did for Israel. First of all, Sabbath was a way of imitating God, is a way of being just like Him. God demonstrated this rhythm of life. Here's what you do. You work for six days, and you take a day off. The six-to-one ratio is a pretty good one, and God builds it into creation. He models it for us. He shows us, this is what I intend. I don't expect men and women to be machines that just work, 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 work. I expect there to be rest. That's how God made us. So at the most basic level, taking a Sabbath day off was simply... Being like God. Second, Israel was to understand her identity and her value through her relationship with him, not through your job. You notice how we do this even today? Somebody says, who are you? Describe yourself. The first thing you're going to do is I'm a eye doctor. I'm a dentist. I'm a whatever Gary James does for the government. I'm a We kind of define ourselves by our work, by our occupation. And what God wants us to do with this is to say our value doesn't come from that. Our value is not defined by what we do for a living. Our value comes from who created us and who operates an ownership of our lives. Everybody's equal. Everybody's cared for by God. And by observing a Sabbath day, you're saying this work is not going to define me. I'm not defined by this. I'm not a plumber, a teacher, or carpenter primarily. I'm a child of God, and the way I show this is there's one day I don't plumb. There's one day I don't teach. There's one day I just sit and recognize my identity as a child of God. It helped the Jews, or it was supposed to. Third, you live your life depending on God, not yourself. How are you supposed to survive on a day-to-day economy? When one of those days you didn't work, who's going to empower you to eat? Who's going to take care of you on that one day? And God tells them, trust me, I can run the world without your help for one day while you rest and reflect on your life. I can do this. It's sort of like the manna lesson continued into the promised land. Fourth, it gave them a chance to assemble. There was very little time in their work every day that they could assemble as a nation of people and remember and reflect and worship. And if you read Psalm 92, it's the great psalm of the Sabbath day. They celebrated the Sabbath day reading this psalm, and they got together and they assembled. When else could you do that? Let's say the elders here decide we're going to have a revival, and we're going to do it on Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning. Why do you pretty well have a hunch that they're not going to do that? Nobody could come. That's when we work. We try our best to kind of avoid obvious obstacles to the success of something. And so God says, you know what? You can't assemble and worship me as a nation on a regular work day. I get that. You guys are working. You're sustaining yourself. But one day a week when you do not do work, you do assemble. And when you assemble, you worship the God who gives you definition. That was their day to assemble. And so they assembled on the Sabbath day. They couldn't any other day. Fifth would be this. It would be their only time of their lives they had the luxury of reflection. Again, that day-to-day economy, the thing is, you worry about today, you might worry a little about tomorrow, but you don't worry about the day before. It's gone. And you don't have time to sit and think and reflect back on life and reevaluate things. We never learn from history. We learn from reflecting on it. But who has the time to do that? Who has the time to sit and look back at their life and say, what have I done wrong and what have I done right? And how can I change that? You can't unless you get a day off. It takes time to do that. And God says in the second giving in Deuteronomy, I want you to take this day to remember. And do you know what God did on the seventh day? He looked back at the previous six days and he says, hmm, that's good. And so he wanted his people to look back at their lives. How's your week been? How was your life in this last week? And you look back on it and you go, you know what, that was good. This wasn't so good. I didn't, I didn't handle that guy who cut me off in traffic very well. Ah, if I were to go back and do that again, it would be different. You have to think about that. You have to reflect on that. And too many of us are going too fast to be able to do that. The Jews had a time where God said, I want you to look back on your life, I want you to reflect on it, and I want you to learn from it, and I want you to be better next week. You can't be better next week if you didn't look at the last one. Lessons are lost. Unless you have time to look back and think. That's partly what you do in church too. There you are at the altar, offering your gift, and you go, Oh, I remember I've offended a brother. Why was it in worship that you remembered you offended a bl- brother? That's one of the few times where you're evaluating your life. And you're looking back and saying, my covenant with God last week, how would I do? And that's when you remember, oh, I forgot about it. I shoved it at the back of my mind. But here in worship, I've got time to reflect. Reflect on purpose. Reflect on my covenant and how I'm supposed to live. And I notice there's an area, there's a gap, there's a problem, and I've got to fix it. And I've got to fix it right now. That's what we're doing here. You're supposed to be doing here. The Sabbath was a day to learn how to be free. When you've been slaves for 400 years, been told every move you're going to make, and been forced to do all the labor you're supposed to do, how do you learn and how do you ever figure out how to live free? How can God teach his people an identity of freedom when they're so used to slavery? by making them take one day off. Slaves don't take days off. Owned people don't take days off. And so when you get in this promised land, he says you're going to take this day off, not only you, but if you have somebody who's a slave of yours... They get a day off too. You can't be a great total workaholic if there's one day you can't even pick up, a, pick up your tools of the trade. He's breaking workaholism and he's breaking slavery and he's breaking the entire system of keeping people in exploitation by saying, you know what, there's one day no one can make you work. You've got to stop. That's an amazing favor of ecology and fairness. And finally, for one of ours, I don't know that Israel would have understood this, but the Hebrew writer makes us understand this, that their day off was practice for eternity. And a practice for what the promised land was supposed to be. It was a land of rest, but because when she got in the land, she didn't obey God and drive out all her enemies, she forfeited that rest. And I'm going to tell you this, if we still had the Sabbath, I would say this, it's your one day to practice what heaven's going to be like. You're going to be able to rest and not slave away for someone else. Now, all this is interesting, at least to me. All the other commandments are repeated. We can see these commandments and go, you know what? I can see a connection for this and New Testament behavior, but this command, this command takes the cake. It's never repeated. We're never told, and those of you who are saying in your head, but Sunday's our Sabbath. No, it's not. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. I don't know who came up with that, but it's never called that. And none of the rules are carried over, none of the requirements, nothing is carried over and called Sabbath in the New Testament. It ends in Old Testament era. This one commandment of the ten, that's why those who get all uptight about let's post all the ten commandments at all these places and these courthouses, what's the big deal? What's this one mean to you? So does this mean that this has no value to us? Christians can just go, well, ho-hum. Jesus said not one jot or one tittle of the Old Testament will pass away without him fulfilling it. It has to matter. It has to show up somewhere. It has to have some kind of bearing and meaning to us as Christians. When we think about the Sabbath in the Old Testament, that one day they got to rest and they got to relax and they got to reflect and they got to meet and they got to remember their identity as free people. What in the world the New Testament conveys that? Well, there are other things like this, like uh, think about the Day of Atonement. They'd get together on the Day of Atonement, and that's the one day when that high priest could go into the most holy place, offer up that sacrifice that atoned for all their sins for all that year, right? So why do we not honor that anymore? Because Jesus filled it full. He offered the one-time-for-all-time sacrifice, so the Day of Atonement was complete in Jesus so that we don't have to honor it anymore. And actually we do, because the moment you trust Jesus as your Savior, that's your day of atonement. And that's your day of atonement forever. So he fulfills that. And I want to argue this, Jesus is the Christian's Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. No more striving. What do we need to do? How do we need to work? How hard do we need to work to survive? No more striving with that. When Jesus says to the people, looks at all these people who are rebelling against him and not responding to him, and he says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. All of you who are looking for what, what your meaning in life is, looking for your identity, looking for some kind of freedom, looking for some kind of rest, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I'll give you the rest. I'll do the work for you. Put my yoke upon you. You'll learn from me and you'll find rest for the believer. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. He is our identity. He's who we are. He provides everything. There is no more striving. There is no more clamoring trying to find the the, the meaning and support of our lives. Jesus is our Sabbath. And so This command, while it's nothing that we actually do, it is who whose we are. And we as Christians know the rest that comes when we come to Jesus, take his yoke upon us, and we find our Sabbath. It's every day, it's a status we have. From being in Christ. Everything it was meant to be for the Jews, Jesus is for us. But here's the thing, like so many other things, if you've never come to Jesus, you don't have a Sabbath. You do not have that rest, and you can't look forward to the eternal rest either. And you need to have both. When you decide to bow yourself to the Lordship of Christ, Confess your sins and be immersed. Here's two things, like we said this morning, two things. You're given rest immediately from all your sin and shame and guilt, and then you take the yoke upon you and you find rest in your meaning of life as you work for the Lord. There's your Sabbath, and you're keeping it. You're remembering your Sabbath every day, and you're keeping it as Christians. If you're not... You haven't found that rest, and you'll keep striving, and you'll keep striving, and you'll keep striving, and you'll fall short of it until you decide you too need to come to Jesus to find your Sabbath, and you have one more opportunity right now as we stand and as we sing.